Well, uh, welcome. Welcome back. Welcome back, welcome back to, uh, to the next session, which is a discussion about trade. Um, uh, Cecilia Malmström, the Commissioner for Trade, uh, European Commissioner for Trade, um, has agreed to give us a keynote uh, entitled Truth About Trade. Um, so I very much look forward to, to learning about these truths. Um, and then we will uh, have a bit of time for discussion. And uh, also, you can ask one or two questions on Slido. Uh, so thank you again, uh, Commissioner, for coming, and uh, please come to stage. Very, uh, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you so much. Uh, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for inviting me, and congratulations on this impressive uh, event, gathering so many uh, of you and also fascinating uh, speakers. Uh, I wanted to discuss truth today. In the age we live in today with instant communication, simplified messages, government by Twitter, truth can be difficult to hold on to. There is a quote attributed to Mark Twain saying, a lie travels around the globe while the truth is putting on its shoes. It's a famous quote, quite apt, but there's no real evidence that he really said that. But it's a good quote anyway. Uh, many here will agree on a lot of things, and we will disagree on others. So um, let's find a mutual good starting point to agree on. The Earth is round. Can we agree on that? Yeah? Or to be accurate, an oblate spheroid, yes. Uh, it would be easier if the Earth were flat. Cartographers could make maps more easily. Lunar eclipses would not ruin the view of the moon. And all of the stars in the sky would be perfectly visible at night. But it is not flat. And that's a fact first proved already in the third century BC when Hellenistic astronomy calculated uh, its shape and circumference. And since then, evidence have mounted up from astronomical calculations to simple observation, ground level views, photos from aircraft and spacecraft. So why, despite all this evidence, does the International Flat Earth Research Society still maintain a membership? There is a small but active community, online mainly. They follow their instincts over evidence. They look around, they see the Earth is flat. They are, however, wrong. And we can sit here and we can laugh about it, uh, based on, uh, laugh about their, their, their perceptions. But there are many similar presumptions made today, and some of them about trade. One that feel intuitively true, but are not backed by any substance. Of course, people are entitled to have their own opinion. That's true. But even so, if your beliefs uh, guide you, not all decisions can be gut decisions. If you want to disagree, you also have a responsibility to understand and look at the evidence. And that's something that became very clear to me from the very first day as Commissioner for Trade. I am a liberal. I believe in open, open borders and free trade. And my ideological beliefs are guiding me. But of course, I have to recognize the reality of a situation that is constantly evolving. Sometimes I'm wrong. 
Sometimes I have initial doubts. I need to change my mind when the evidence is there. So I would like to talk to you about a few things in trade that are actually not true. The biggest misconception I have seen on the rise now is about tariffs. People who advocate tariffs seem to base their arguments on two things. Tariffs target foreign business when they in fact target the consumers. And tariffs are the tool of narrow interests seeking to protect industries at the expense of broader society. The second uh, misconception is that if we make a product at home, we save money, we strengthen the economy, and we save jobs. It's a tempting argument, but not fully true. A basic principle of trade, that of comparative advantages, is that specialization is more efficient. That seems to have been forgotten these days. This type of thinking could lead to unsustainable business models, higher prices for ordinary citizens, and a more fragile economy in the long run. Tariffs are not the answer to a transforming global economy. They are rarely the answer to anything. They are the equivalent of shooting yourself in the foot to hurt the shoe salesman. Another big mistake that people are is confusing today is that a trade balance is equivalent to a bank balance. Misreading exports to mean profits and imports to mean losses. That's not true. It ignores economic realities, and I'm sure there are plenty of people here from Brugal who can prove me right here. The increasingly service-oriented economies in Europe, or the fact that getting hold of low-priced and reliable imports is vital for economies, that's something they are forgetting. Or that in a model global economy, goods will cross borders many times before they are finished, bringing prosperity and jobs wherever they go. In fact, a surplus in trade can be a bad sign. It's a sign of weak domestic demand, and this can make countries sensitive to changes in the global economy. So balancing the books on trade is not like a household budget. Another common misperception is that trade is only good for big companies. I know quite a few people who disagree with that. I was in Hanoi just before the summer, and I met Laura Fontan and Diego Cortizas. They have a company, a Spanish company, called Chula Fashion. It's based in Hanoi. It has 68 employees. And the agreement with Vietnam, hopefully entering into force soon, will simplify the rules of origin, and that will make it much easier for them to export to the EU. Because trade is important to companies, big and small. Small companies are underrepresented in the global trade. Because exporting is hard. It's difficult. You need knowledge. You need to get hold of the culture, of the tradition, of the languages, of the marking, uh, marketing of that particular country. And a small, big company can handle that. But for small companies, that is increasingly difficult. There's lots of costs to absorb. And that is why we have started to include provisions focusing especially on the small and medium-sized companies in our agreements to make sure that they get online information, that we have an SME help desk where EU companies can, um, can get to know the, what, what, what's in a trade agreement, but also protect themselves from unfair practices. And we create European uh, networks, such as Enterprise Europe Network. In the coming years, it is estimated that 90% of global growth will come from outside the EU. 
Developing and emerging markets will account for 60% of world GDP by 2030. And smaller companies are very well placed to take advantage of that, taking up their role in global supply chains. So trade is not just for the big guys. It's an opportunity for everybody. Another presumption very spoken about these days is that trade is automatically bad for the environment. The picture is, of course, more complicated than that. For example, it is better for the climate for Northern Europeans to buy tomatoes from Spain, despite transport costs involved, because it cuts back on another cause of emission, heated greenhouses. And lamb from New Zealand has been similarly shown to have its transport emissions offset by other factors. This is counterintuitive. I agree with that. Uh, but it doesn't mean that is not true. We must, of course, aim for a lower environmental impact and for lower um, costs, fossil costs, when it comes to transports in, in trade. But we must keep our approaches evidence-based. Because trade can have indirect positive spillovers on the environment, encouraging innovation, spurring investment in low carbon production to meet standards in other countries, and lowering the costs of environmental goods and services. And many companies are right now focusing a lot on that. It is a critical part of fighting climate change to improve local production processes. And trade and investment liberalization can provide firms with incentives to adapt to high standards from elsewhere. And changes needed to meet these requirements in turn flow backwards along the supply chains. And this stimulates the use of cleaner production processes and technologies throughout a country. And in trade agreements, they are often embedded in bigger partnership agreements or association agreements, where we put researchers and innovators together, focusing very much on climate research and climate innovation. And every chapter in our trade, every trade agreement that we are doing have a chapter on trade and sustainable development to lock in commitments to implement international climate conventions, such as the Paris Agreement. And this is particularly true for a recent agreement with the Mercosur countries, uh, and that's why it is so important, because it binds those four countries together with the EU at a time when the US has left the Paris Accord and are, is encouraging other countries uh, to do so. Of course, the last week's reports from the Amazons are very uh, worrying. We have seen these reports, uh, forest fires raging over the Amazons. And the Amazons provide so much of the world's oxygen, so it has to be protected. Brazil has good laws on, uh, on forests, and it has to respect them. And I believe that the EU-Mercosur agreement, that hasn't entered into force yet, can be a part of this solution. But we need, of course, to make it very clear to Brazil that we expect them to follow the commitments they have made when it comes to the Paris Agreement, when it comes to deforestation, when it comes to the, um, the, the, uh, the commitments they have made there that are replicated in the Mercosur uh, Agreement. And I think failing to do so will, have, uh, will make the ratification process complicated. And looking forward, the new commission president-elect Ursula von der Leyen, she has said that she would like to look at a border adjustment measure on carbon. 
Now, I know many in the trade area say, no, no, this is not good, um, referring to international rules. The aim would be to help level the playing field for European companies, and it's also good for the planet. Maybe it can be done. I think we need to look at this. Any measures, of course, needs to be non-discriminatory, fully WTO compliant, but that's not to say it can't be done. As ever with trade, the devil is in the details. So upgrading and enforcing protection for the environment is just one area where trade can make a positive difference. Sustainable development is, of course, much more than that. We have our general prefer system of preferences and everything but arms, where we offer privileged access to the EU market for developing countries to meet these high standards on environment, on labor, on human rights, on social rights. Because at the end of the day, trade is about so much more than just goods and services. It's a, another presumption that we should tackle, that the end game is pure free trade. Um, it is, of course, about economic prosperity, but it's also about culture, about people, about values, about lifting people out of poverty, and a way to promote peace and trust between countries. And looking at the EU trade agenda right now, we have deals closed or about to be closed with many important partners, Canada, Mexico, Mercosur, Vietnam, Japan, South Korea, Singapore, uh, soon with Australia, New Zealand, etc. And each of these deals is the basis for a deeper relationship, not only good for the, for the economy, but also sending a very powerful message to the world. We believe in trade. We do not believe in trade wars. We believe that you can do mutually beneficial, sustainable trade that is good for our companies, good for our citizens, and that we do that on a set of predictable, international, multilateral rules. And that is important, because today we need to stick together with our friends to overcome the last misconception, one that WTO is useless. It's not true. That is our number one priority. We need to save the WTO. Not a lot of progress has been made in recent years, and that has led to some losing faith in it, other taking it for granted. But it's like, it's a system that has underpinned trade for decades. It has served us well, and it's like oxygen. You won't notice it until it's gone, and then it's in serious trouble. The end of WTO would be the end of predictability in international trade. Businesses could no longer rely on exports as they once did. Trade would become chaotic, unstable. And our trade policies, economies, our global value chains at large would reconfigure, and not always in the most efficient or desirable way. So the WTO is critical to the functioning of global trade. But, and this is also true, it is out of date. It needs to be reformed, strengthened, and modernized. We must update rules to tackle things like illegal state subsidies, bringing fairness back to the heart of global trade. We must resolve the appellate body crisis uh, because the appellate body brings discussions on the rules out of capitals to neutral ground, and that avoids tit-for-tat tariffs and escalation of trade tensions. These are some of the immediate issues the WTO is facing, and we also need to work on the daily, the daily work of how the, the organization works and 
we need to work on future rules, like in the digital sector. And I'm very happy that after years of attempts, we see progress here. In Davos, in January this year, almost 80 countries launched negotiations on digital trade uh, in, on a plurilateral setting. And that is very important. We are also working, the EU, with, another, with a group of interested members of WTO to reform, to put forward different proposals uh, in order to strengthen the organization. And this is important. We have to do it, the European Union, the current uh, institutions, and also the incoming, I heard you were discussing that just when I entered, the agenda for the new commission, the new European Parliament. We have to do it with other countries. We need input from business. We need input from academia, from think tanks, from everybody who has an interest in international trade. Because reforming and rebuilding faith in the WTO is a huge task, and we need all the allies we can get here. So, I hope I have convinced you that the Earth is still not flat, uh, and that there are some misconceptions about trade, from tariffs to surpluses to benefits of uh, environmental impacts. Things are never as simple as they seem. Life would be easier if we could just follow our gut instincts. But policy, society are more complex than that, and that's a good thing. The best we can do is to hold on to our values, what we believe is good and right, but always be ready to challenge received ideas through rigorous research and understanding. That's how we move forward, and that's why I'm so grateful to Bruegel and others here who always try to undermine their arguments with good, solid facts, statistics, uh, and research. So thank you very much for inviting me here today. Well, thank you very much for this inspiring speech, covering a lot of ground, and of course, looking back at your, uh, your mandate, um, it's been an incredibly busy, busy five years, lots of negotiations, but what a change in the trading landscape also uh, in the last five years compared to when you, when you entered. So, so I think uh, we should be really, uh, you should be really proud of all the things you have achieved in, the, in this time, it seems to me. But I, I guess um, there's certainly two... I'm not done yet, huh? Well, uh, okay, <laughs> a little bit more still. So, so there's two, I think, two big issues, right, that, that I think I see also on Slido and the audience uh, coming up, and I think that, that people want to wanna ask. I think one big question is, uh, and you talk, didn't talk much about it, is the social um, uh, aspects uh, and the social, let's say, fallout mm -hmm. from uh, rapid trade agreements that are rapidly mm -hmm. implemented and that lead to changes mm. uh, in basically business patterns, business structures, some people being laid off mm. and some people not immediately finding it a job. And, and I, I wondered whether uh, you, you think that the issue is more or less well dealt with in Europe because we have a good welfare state or whether uh, the speed at which we come to new trade agreements is perhaps too fast or perhaps too slow uh, to allow for this change and for, to allow for people to actually move from one business to the other. So this is, this is really one big question, the social aspects of, of trade. The other big point I do want to raise, um, of course, and you didn't mention uh, it, is, is China. You didn't mention the word China in your speech unless I missed it. Um, and, uh, and of course, uh, a lot of um, the worry about um, trade uh, also here in Europe um, 
it's not only about Trump. Trump, you mentioned implicitly quite, quite clearly, um, not explicitly, but implicitly, I think it was there, um, uh, but you didn't talk about China. And so, so where do you see um, the global trading system going uh, with um, a China that has quite a different economic model still? Thank you very much. I'll, I'll start with the first question. I think it's an extremely relevant question, not only to trade, but to the economy as a whole, because we witness so many transformations. Globalization is so quick. The, the technology, uh, artificial intelligence, the, the transformation of our societies is, is very quick. And a lot of people can take advantage of that, of course. But others will need more time, because you can't just move from one job that tomorrow doesn't exist to another more qualified uh, that is created because of trade agreement or because of technologic innovation. So we need to invest in our societies in skills, in training, in lifelong learning, and also make sure that we have um, the, um, the capacity, the social welfare system we do have in Europe. I mean, we, you live well in Europe compared to many other places in the world, but inequalities are growing. And that's a really big problem. We need to find ways to, to perfectionize our, our social models to make sure that also the, those who, who are slower to adopt, who are maybe may only short term, but, but still short term losers of the changes of globalization so that, that they can catch up. Some of that can be done on a European level by uh, training, education, innovation, research, investment. Others is of course, has to be done on, on a national level. But this is a discussion we've had very intensively in the coming, in, in the current commission, and I'm sure it will dominate a lot of the agenda of the incoming commission. And what I've seen so far from Mrs. van der Leyen and others, this is something that she will take uh, very seriously. So it's absolutely a very relevant uh, question. But, but trade, per se, creates more jobs than, than it takes away. But the combination of all the changes, of course, it's what people see. They don't see if it's a trade agreement or if it's a globalization, a technological change there, or artificial intelligence or robotization. They, take, they see the results. So here we need to have a much more helicopter view on that. On China, um, I think I implicitly referred to it because, of course, the, the trading system today um, has a lot of problems. And it is, uh, uh, it's perceived, and it's also true, I would say, by us, by the US and many others, that China has created many of the problems. Because China, when it joined the WTO 18, 19 years ago, was a lot of, of uh, hope, a lot of optimism, and we saw reforms coming there. However, they have not materialized. China has not lived up to its commitments, uh, although China has gained enormously from joining the WTO. And uh, trade in China has created many jobs and really lifted people out of poverty. And the model China has, the state capitalist model, um, including massive state subsidies, uh, forced technology transfer, uh, sometimes cyber theft or discrimination when it comes to, to um, foreign companies acting in China is a problem. And there we share the analysis of the US. We don't share the, the, uh, the recipe on how to deal with it via trade wars and, and massive punitive tariffs, uh, but, but we do share the, the analysis and we need to engage and we are with China to make sure it takes a bigger responsibility uh, to strengthen the multilateral system and to change its policy accordingly. And we do some of, of that reforms with the US, with China and with other friends, uh, with Japan and other friends in, in the WTO. But, are, but it is a problem, trade? yes. 
I mean, other other trade defense instruments uh, sufficient that we are having? I mean, someone here asked a question about, mm -hmm. uh, you know, do we need uh, stronger instruments for foreign subsidies? And if we can't get them through the WTO, should we do something stronger with our state aid regime? We have been transforming from the EU side our trade defense instrument, making them more up-to-date, making them more, more quick, more transparent, more efficient, shortening the, 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 the time that we need for investigations, even if you can't do it too quickly because you need to listen to all the partners. So we try to make them more modern, more apt to the changing world. We also have set up a system where member states cooperate and can share information on uh, foreign investment in critical infrastructure. Uh, that's not only China, it could be other countries, but critical infrastructure where there might be some, uh, some sensitivities. So we have tried to equip ourselves with better tools. Are they enough? I don't know. I think we constantly need to, to, to look at this. And we also need, of course, to write new rules in the WTO, new rules on state subsidies, new rules on, on um, uh, forced technology transfer and a few other things, um, IPR, etc., intellectual property. Uh, so we, we are trying to do that, uh, and we need, of course, to have a dialogue with China to make sure that they, uh, th they engage and that they, they uh, understand the importance of them um, doing the, the, the necessary reforms. It will be on the agenda for a very long time, and we will constantly have to evaluate, do we have enough tools? Okay, I, I'm afraid that's all the time we have. Uh, it's already uh, well past 2.30. Uh, thank you so much, Commissioner, for uh, joining us today, and thank you uh, for uh, giving an enlightening speech on truth about trade. Thank you very much.